Thursday, July 7th, 2021. This is Messiah Matters number 350. Rob, do you even read Heiser, bro? My name is Caleb Haig. I'm not much of a reader at all. My name's Rob Vianna. <laughs> uh, what up, buddy? How's it going? It's going well. I, I have shifted to just like super snob espresso. Oh, yeah. So the problem is it tastes really good with a dollop of like half and half. But it's gone in like two gulps. Yeah, but but Rob, in 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 ten minutes, Rob's gonna be like, "All right, let's go." I'm already I'm already there now. So we decided just a few seconds ago that uh, before you buy a house uh, for a hundred dollars, you can call Rob for ten minutes, and he will tell you why you shouldn't buy a house. No, <laughs> no I'm my my woes are nothing compared to other people's woes. <laughs> let's just put it this way: someone someone who will remain nameless. And that nameless person is not me. Saw fit to dispose of an old jar of homemade sauerkraut, which has been in the back of the refrigerator for so long, down the disposal, <laughs> the, the garbage disposal in the kitchen sink. And I didn't know this had happened. And we ended up having a bunch of water back up. And it was not pretty. And it consumed a few hours of frantic so, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like frantic kind of action trying to clean up a mess and get it fixed. At, praise God, it's fixed. It's good. I got a good night's sleep. But so, that was that, so, that really took a toll on my nerves. So I had to. <laughs> I, I, Rob already knows this, but I had to fire the company that was going to build my office at my house. Yeah, what's up with that? Man? Oh man. Anyway, yeah, I don't even want to get into it. But um, did you I, actually use the words? You're fired. <laughs> no, I said, give me my money back. I'm, I'll just find somebody else to do it. And the other, but here's the, here's the thing that I didn't tell the company. The other people who can do it in the time frame that I need it done is me. I'm the only, like, I, there's no other company I can hire. So basically, I get to build my office now. Now, for those who think, oh, well, you know, maybe you've been to my parents' house and seen my father's woodworking skills. My dad is is a fine woodworker and has built has remodeled his entire house and has built a lot of of things in his life. Um, I did not inherit that at all. In fact, uh, my brother did, but I did not. And in fact, just at the beginning of the summer, I built a picket fence, a picket fence in the front yard of our house. And my wife was amazed <laughs> that I could actually build a picket fence. That might give you a clue. And now I'm apparently building an entire structure. You're not, you're not talking like you went and bought pre-made eight-foot sections. No, and just no, no, connect. no. I, I, but I did buy the the pre-cut slats. Sure, sure, sure. But but no, I, I built the fence. Nice, nice. But I mean, this is the first. The let, let's just put it this way: the f first woodworking construction project that I have done is a picket fence, and now I'm moving straight into building an office for myself. So nice, it's, Caleb. Uh, one quick random question. Yes, sir. To your left, left to your left monitor. There is that a little thing of like mixed nuts. Oh, uh, nobody else can see this except for you. Yeah, uh, my wife uh, got a buy one, get one free, and she was like, what kind do you want? Virginia peanuts, sea salt and pepper. I got to say, these are the most disgusting peanuts I've ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking, man. They're so gross. Uh, anyway, okay. Um, okay, thanks for seeing. That's just my random ADD taking over there. Yeah. What's that, Caleb? <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so uh, let's see here. Before we jump into it, uh, 253-465-3205. That's our comment line. You can call that 
And uh, we won't answer. It'll just be a message machine. Tell us how much you love us, hate us, agree with us, disagree with us. doesn't matter. Tell us how much you love Heiser and how wrong we are and how we haven't uh, read any Heiser. This is the main comment, by the way, by people on our YouTube channel this this uh, this this past week is that we haven't read Heiser. So, uh, Messiah Matters wants to hear from you. Leave us a comment, a question or two. Call 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us an email. It is chegg at torresource.com, C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. This show is produced by torresource.com. You can go that, to makes me, that, that little thing makes me so happy. That, that makes little, me happy, uh, too. It, uh, what do we call it? Is it a jingle? It's a what jingle. It's our jingle. It's, our, it's, it's a phone number it's jingle. It's our phone yeah. jingle. Um, it makes to, me happy. Yeah, go to Tor Resource for all sorts of free stuff and paid stuff. In fact, we just uh, re- released a uh, video series by Rob himself. Uh, oh, did, did I'm sorry. Okay, hang on just a second. I'm being told that there was no sound. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, no sound on the well, jingle. The, hang on just oh, a second. Oh, bummer. I heard it okay. I let's, see, let's see if people can hear it now. Messiah Matters wants to hear from you. Leave us a comment, a question or two. Call 253-465-3205. Okay, I think for sure they heard it that time. Sorry, my half of my soundboard was turned off. Um, okay, uh, yeah, so as I was saying, Rob has just produced a, well, we just produced a video series for him on uh, themes in Galatians, Galatians, the book of Galatians, uh, and it was, uh, it was uh, very good, actually. I was, I was fortunate. fortunate was surprised. <laughs> you know, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to edit it. It was very good, and I would, uh, I would definitely. Uh, encourage you to go get that now. You can find it at. Tor and there Resource. are handout. The handouts that go with it are also available. If I don't know if we inc- how they're included, bro. All they're people, included right on. All people got to do is is uh, b- purchase the uh, the DVDs, either physical or direct download, and you will have the notes emailed directly to you. You can also find show archives of Messiah Matters at messiahmatters.com. That's right. We have our own website now, messiahmatters.com. We're still building the site, but that's okay. You can go there and find all the uh, old archives. And actually, right now, we're having somebody catalog some of the uh, some of the shows. Um, yeah, nice. so soon you'll Very be able nice. to, hopefully soon you'll be able to uh, search the various topics of our shows. Of and our finally... Her- various heresies or various... <laughs> Attacks. Un, unread, unwell-read yes. comments. Uh, so uh, finally, if you uh, don't want to support this show financially but still like this show and want to support us in some way, you can do uh, something very easy. Go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel or like this video. If you're already subscribed, go ahead and like this video. And I know it sounds weird, but it actually helps. Uh, it helps us a lot because YouTube likes it when people do that, and so then they'll show this video to more people. Okay, let's jump right in. We have a uh, comment that was left on our comment line this morning by a very dear to my heart, Erna Draper. Erna is, uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, it's this one. Erna uh, is has been a longtime supporter and listener of this show. She calls us very often and leaves messages of encouragement for us, and we are always grateful for that. Let's take a listen to her question. Uh, shalom, you all. This is Erna. I just have a very short question uh, that maybe somebody can address at some point. Does the scripture teach us 
that every single human being is made in the image of God. Hang on, she's going to keep going. I feel kind of ignorant asking this question, um, but I'm hearing messages from people uh, in answer to CRT and other things, making the point that every single human being is made in the image of God. And I would just like some biblical clarification. Thank you. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of different things that we could say about this. Uh, first of uh, can all... I just, can I just make an initial point? Yes, go ahead. Thank you, Erna. It's not ignorant. Oh, I appreciate you saying you felt maybe ignorant asking the question. Those are the best questions because when we feel that way, because what it means, it means means we're asking a, uh, from a position of, of acknowledging that there's a border between what I, what I know and what I grasp right. versus what I don't know. And what I love about your question is that you're refraining from a pretense to knowledge. And this, this reminds me of James, where James chapter one, where he says, you know, if anyone lack wisdom, uh, ask. How, and how do we get to a point where we say, you know what, I lack wisdom on something. That's a position of humility. Right before the Lord. And it says, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge is the beginning of wisdom. So just, I just want to say that question and the way you phrased it is exemplary of, of good question asking. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, that, that's what I just wanted to point well, out. Well, uh, and Erna mentioned CRT. If you don't know what that is, I, I think everybody at this point does, but CRT is... Cathode crit- ray tube. Yes, that. No, Old it's... monitors from the 80s. It's uh, critical race theory is actually what, it, what what is being referenced there. Critical race theory, in my opinion, is a uh, a ploy by the devil, literally. It's an, right, it's an anti-Bible. It's anti-Bible. It is, and it comes, literally comes from a Marxist... Uh, worldview it was created in 1980. The term critical race theory uh, was created in 1989. Uh, Vadi Bakum has an unbelievable book on this uh, that I just started reading not long ago. I'm, I'm not all the way through it yet, but it, it's very good thus far. Uh, called Fault Lines. I highly recommend picking up a copy if you'd like to know the history and, and uh, some of the arguments against critical race theory. Critical race theory, in my opinion, is uh, the downfall of uh, is going to be po- possibly the straw that breaks the cam- camel's back of the downfall of the American educational system. Um, it, it is just straight up against the gospel. That's what it is. And it comes from Marxism. Uh, so all of that said, um, yeah, there's a lot going on and a lot of people are responding to critical race theory right now. And so the ultimate question that we come back to is, are all humans made in the image of God? This is a great question, and there are a lot of different... So initially, we just need to answer that question. And the, the answer that I would give to that is just a simple yes. All people, all humans are made in the image of God. Now, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? That's where the question would go next. And I think that that is really a, a, a question that has a lot of different uh, avenues we could go down. So for instance, I'm currently reading a book right now. Called God's Design for Man and Women. Woman. Uh, it is by Andreas Kostenberger and his wife Margaret Kostenberger. Uh, they are complementarian. They have written an excellent book. It is very good. He argues in the beginning of this book 
that to be uh, made in the image of someone means to be given their authority. This actually brings a lot of interesting avenues from in and of itself that we could go down uh, when when uh, to, to bear someone's name could be to bear their image. Uh, Kosenberger actually takes the idea of uh, an, a ruler stamping a coin. Their image is on the coin. That means that they rule whatever uh, area that those coins are used in. Uh, that kind of thing. So, uh, and what Kosenberger argues is that to have to be made in someone's image or to be in the image of someone is to have the authority. And this is why it's given in Genesis that man is given the authority over the beasts of the earth, and that there is a order of um, of authority that's given: God, man, woman, uh, then child, beast, so on and so forth. Uh, so. That could be the first, uh, we could use that in terms of what does it mean to be made in the image of God. Another theory or another uh, argument is that being made in the image of God means that we are different than the animals in that we can have a love covenant relationship with God. In other words, the animals, they might, you know, if you look at like chimpanzees, it looks like they have feelings, which they do. It looks like they... Uh, react to things they have, you know, they think through things, they have the ability to communicate. They so have social, social hierarchies. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, very intelligent. So what would be the difference between monkeys and humans? Well, a lot of people are going to say there is no difference. But the but in my opinion, the biggest difference is that humans have the ability to be in covenant relationship with God, whereas the animal kingdom does not. They do not have the ability to be in covenant relationship with God. God has not entered into covenant relationship with them. And so this could also be we reflect, uh, and I mean, there's a lot that could be said about this too, but we reflect the glory of God. Uh, And it says then, I forget exactly where this reference is. Then, uh, oh, it's in Colossians. And then uh, we... uh, I'm going to find it while you talk, Rob. Go ahead. Colossians 1. Well, Colossians 4, I believe, actually. Oh, okay. I was thinking 1, where it says that Yeshua is the image. Oh, right. I thought, that, I thought that's where you're going. Uh, I'm talking about uh, that, that uh, we will reflect the glory of God or that uh, we will be glorified. We will be glorified with Christ. What does that mean? I think it means to reflect the glory of God through Christ. In other words, Christ the nature in us. that Right. That, so... The problem of fallen man is that man has consciousness of himself and of the world and use of language, ability to build tools, with, uh, but in darkness, in ignorance, that man was made in God's image. So in ignorance of Elohim. Right. So man cannot, you know, they, is it the Greeks that say know thyself? Was that was that like a Greek philosophical tenet in some of the Greek thought, at least? I don't know which one. First, know thyself or something like that. And the, that's different than the, than the Bible. The Bible is not know yourself. You can't know yourself. Because it, although a person in darkness would come up with all sorts of clever and ingenious pictures of the world, that's all the different philosophies of the world that seem to have the appearance of wisdom. Right. And and the philosophies of men, this is also in like Colossians 2, for example, uh, and human potential, right? What does it mean? What's the human potential? Well, as long as those types of projects are, are 
filled out by people in darkness without reference, <laughs> without the starting point that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Those are all systems of false knowledge, right? They're, they're just dark houses that people are being invited into. What it means for the believer to say, I'm made in the image of God is, is different. It's like the lights are on, right? And, and the lights are on, like Yeshua says it in, in John 3. Here's the judgment. Light came into the world, and men, the evil the men, I'm paraphrasing, hated the light. And so they hid, lest their deeds be exposed. But those who, who love the truth come out into the light. Right. It means they they recognize they're they're able to say, "Wow, I'm a sinner. Wow, this heart of mine is wicked. Right, and there's wickedness in this world, and and I need God's light, and I, and I see God as loving and forgiving, but also holy, and uncompromisingly holy and just. And we understand the gospel message is this is how that was reconciled, how the depravity of my heart is reconciled to the holy, just, pure, loving, faithful, eternal Elohim. Right. And, and that's the story of, that's the story of the gospel. I, I love, I, I haven't read the book, the Kostenberger book that right. you're, you're looking at, but I want to get it. That, that it just sounds, it just rings true. I mean, it's like, yeah, he you, was involved in editing the NIV. He was a big player in editing the NIV. This guy is no slouch when it comes to biblical Hebrew. He's the main editor of another book that I just received as well, actually. So my good friend, Jeff has been a kind of uh, placing books at the top of my to read list, and uh, Kosenberger has been the main the main author that he's recommended to me. Uh, he did one on uh, the Second Timothy passage about uh, about women in leadership, and basically Kosenberger was the main editor of this book. It's just a compilation of of uh, various scholars, but boy, it's it's very good. Uh, we got nice. a couple of, we got a couple of comments here in the uh, in the in the chat room. Uh, Sean says Paul says that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. Okay, uh, now stop real quick. We're talking about Colossians here. There's a couple things that need to be said. First of all, the uh, passage that I was looking for was actually Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will, will appear with him in glory. What does it mean that we are glorified? We And if you, we could do a, a search and find glorified as well, that we are glorified in Christ. Uh, I think it means that we uh, are indwelled by the Holy Spirit and therefore shine forth the grace of God. Uh, and this is actually how we are glorified. Um, so uh, the question then comes to this passage in Colossians where Paul says that, uh, that Christ was made in the image of the invis- invisible God. I think that this is actually uh, this is actually a reference not necessarily to, yes, it is a reference to deity as well, and if you read in that in that passage, the whole thing is about his deity. But I think this is actually a claim of authority because it's coupled with firstborn of creation. So firstborn of creation and um, and and image of the invisible God says that he has authority over everything. Now, 
That's not to say that this diminishes uh, the passage on, on uh, our Lord's deity. In fact, if we look at John and other places, there are plenty of places that are going to say that, uh, that he is, in other words, uh, Thomas is a, a, another great place. Lord, show us the Father. Have I been with you so long that you have not seen me? You know, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but I think that I got the general uh, phrasing of it. Uh, anyone who sees me sees the Father. Right. So, I mean, there's there's plenty of places that uh, that this claim is made. But in the specific passage that I believe that Sean is talking about in Colossians, uh, it, where in Colossians one in the in the hymn, right, 15 through 20, where he says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. I think that that's actually a claim to authority over all creation and the church. Um, anything on that, Rob? No, nope. but he's also the true. He is also when we are in. God's image, and we are in Messiah. We're, it's I see that as the same thing. Yes, absolutely. Yesh- we- Yeshua, Yeshua is he? He's not. Uh, he doesn't. He's not tainted by sin. And yeah, and and whose that, image? So, are, whose image are we created in? The Father's, yes. The Son's, yes. The Spirit, yes. In other words, we to be made in the image of God is to be made in the image of Yod Hey Vav Hey. So this is not to separate the Godhead into one or the other. It's not that we're made in the image of, of the Father or made in the image of the Son. Uh, yeah, and Josh, thank, Joshua, thank you. Uh, I'm, I think I was referencing actually the Philippians passage, not the Colossians passage, and John 14. Did I say 17? I don't know. I'm all over the place. This is Acts what happens. Thirty-two. Acts chapter thirty-two. <laughs> yeah. This is what this is what happens when I don't have my physical Bible in front of me. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, anyway. Okay, so uh, let's move on. Should we move on from this topic? Yeah, I, yeah, Erna sure. is in the chat room, by the way, and I hope that answers your question, Erna. If uh, if it doesn't, or if you have follow up questions on that, please feel free to. One, one last note, maybe. Yep, we're, we're going to be judged by that standard. So it doesn't matter if if a human being denies that there's a God, they're still going to be judged according to the truth of that they are human, right? <laughs> made in the image of of God. So that that uh, might be a segue into into where we're going. Okay, so like, like, I, I, no, I was right. Hang on, by, by the way, yes, uh, I I I was right. <laughs> of this course, was, you were right. This was going to bother me because okay, I, go ahead. Jo- well, Joshua said, and I think that yes, I was bringing in some of the Philippians. Oh, Philip in John fourteen. Did I say I said Thomas? That's what he was re- referring to, and I took it as Philippians. I'm sorry. Mia culpa. See, now I got to put the L in there every time because that one guy got so upset that I wasn't putting Mia the L Kipa. in. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so I was right. The Colossians one fifteen passage is he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For he's for by him. And now in sixteen is when. So the uh, declaration of authority is in Colossians one fifteen. He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. This is the de- declaration of all authority over all creation. And then the declaration of deity is is there in fifteen, but uh, expands in in sixteen, where it says that he is the he, he created all things. And if we go back to Genesis 1, we see that who created all things? yod heh created all things. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So, I, I mean, this this hymn is absolutely fantastic when we look at uh, at, at the the declaration of deity all throughout. It's, it, it is a, it's an amazing passage, and it was really fun to... Uh, 
It was really fun to preach on. Not your fault, Joshua. I uh, <laughs> I misread and and I was thumbing through the Rolodex of my of my scripture, saying, "Wait, I don't think I was wrong on that." Okay, anyway, um, let's move on. Uh, we got some things to talk about here from last show. In fact. So anyone who didn't see last show, I actually changed the name of it, and uh, we were talking about Dr. Heiser, and we got an overwhelming amount of comments on this, and this shows the the Heiser cult, as it were. Uh, there are people who are going to die on the hill for Heiser and his and his uh, his theories and his exegesis of various texts and uh, whatnot. Uh, so. Johnny was one person. He left, I don't know how many comments, a lot of comments. and uh, uh, But the, he gives you the general gist of the comments that were on several of these videos. Sorry, guys, but Heiser has a ton of better evidence and exegesis in original languages on this. Rob is wrong. Uh, Paul Coffey also writes in and says, Rob, I'm sorry, but you're completely wrong, triple exclamation point. Dr. Heiser is completely all caps right, triple exclamation exclamation point. Invite him on. Uh, no, that's not going to happen, by the way. Um, we're not going to bring Heiser onto this show. If, if Heiser wants, if, first of all, Heiser has no clue who we are uh in terms of this show, I can guarantee it. He doesn't care who we are. We are very small. Uh, there are our, our, our minute following on YouTube is not going to entice him to come in uh, onto our show anyway. That's number one. Even if we were on Heiser's radar, we wouldn't have him on this show. If he wants to respond to us, uh, he's more than ha- welcome to do that. He can do that in written form. He can make his own videos. He can make his own podcasts. Uh, I have followed Heiser on Facebook. He's no slouch in terms of making media. The guy can uh, the guy can make a video. So, no, uh, we're not going to use. Here's the thing that we realized a long time ago when we used to have guests on. We would bring guests on, and then the people would turn heretic, and then we were sitting there scratching our head wondering if we needed to pull all of the clips. Another thing that we realized is that there, there's a lot of people who want to use our platform to uh, diminish the holy name of the Lord with their errant theology on the doctrines of the Trinity, or their uh, anti-Trinity, that is, or their errant doctrine of rejecting the deity of the Messiah, or uh, choose heresy here and insert. And based Basically, or the doc- doctrines of grace. Yeah, exactly. People want to use our platform to uh, to spout uh, heresy, and if that's what people want to do, anyone can make a YouTube channel. Literally, anyone can make a YouTube channel. So just jump on, make a YouTube channel, and and post all the heresy you want. But you're not going to use our platform to do that. And so after much discussion, we decided. If you want to add glitter to that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that. after much decision, after much discussion, rather, um, we decided that uh, we weren't going to have we weren't going to bring people on this show anymore. Um, and so that's just kind of how it is. I'm actually trying to find that clip and uh, use the. You can handle. No, I can't find it. Oh, yeah, I can. Check this out. If you want to add glitter to that glue you're sniffing, that's fine. But don't dump your wackadoo all over us. Did you hear that? Okay. I did. I don't know okay, if anybody good. else did. I think everybody else did. Anyway, here we go. Um, so th- th- now that you've get, gotten received a general idea of the um, of the comments that have been made uh, in terms of. People really just said, and a lot of people said, well, you guys have never, obviously, obviously, you guys have never read Heiser um, at all. 
And so, uh, do we have a specific quote that yeah. of someone saying that that you could read? Yeah. So here, here you go. Oh. Here you go. You either haven't listened fully to Dr. Heiser or you are misquoting him. He is monotheistic and he clearly states uh, he's not into polytheism. He believes in the one true God and that we are his imagers. He also clearly states that the Bible is God's word and separates uh, separate from other texts. Even the Bible writers quote other texts, so why can't Heiser? Well, okay, hang on just a sec. Uh, right there, I want to I want to respond to that. We're going to let Rob just have a field day here in just a second, but I want to respond to that. Heiser doesn't just quote other texts. Heiser quotes other texts and take takes them as hands down true. He has to have basically. He says these have to be true. In he doesn't say this, but ultimately the texts that he quotes have to be true for his thesis to be upheld. So he has. So basically, when he takes something like Enoch. And, and uses that, he's saying this has to be true and therefore my thesis on the Bible is true. That That's that's broad brushstroke. Okay. Uh, but but do you, do you want, did you want to finish that thought? Or? I'll finish the, I'll finish the quote. Okay. As for Elohim, the Bible names of Lot, Lot I, the English is broken here. Uh, the Bible names. He gets, he gets a whole bunch of verses, right? Elo, Elohim, yeah. not just God. You, okay, you don't need to. Okay, go for it. So, so this, like Caleb said, this is a, a topic that gave a lot, gave us a lot of feedback. I think there's even a voicemail that we got also asking the question. But, yeah. um, so just just for the record, I think I've seen Doctor Heiser give a few different ETS. So live. I think I've even asked a question or two at different sessions at ETS. I've read his dissertation. I read his dissertation years ago. I've read a few of his different articles that he has published. And I've read his book, The Unseen Realm. Um, so. Do you want to go farther and so, say what you, what your, what your current project is? So, so, well, presently I'm just gathering, uh, gathering, getting my head around the implications of, of some of his main points and um, working on a book to, to give what I believe is, is a sound scriptural perspective for believers in Yeshua. Um, and what I did for today, I don't know how much time, Caleb, if you want to spend doing it, but just to, just to go over and above by the you way, know, we to, got we got a couple of Heiserites in the uh, in the chat room right now. People okay, who, just, who people who are are full bore just uh, defending oh, good, Heiser good, good. and don't seem to welcome. actually know what he teaches. But keep going. Welcome, welcome. Uh, just to go over and above, I I went and went back, dug out his dissertation, which I hadn't looked at for a while, and I typed up a bunch of I have like probably a dozen or more direct quotes from his dissertation which was published, I think, in 2004 for a secular university by which he is called doctor. Okay, so this is the document. So everybody who calls him doctor. Hey, hang on, just you a before you before you keep going, I, I, oh. I think we do need to address this comment. Moises in the chat room says, Dr. Heiser says that, that says all the time, those extra texts are not authoritative, but bring context and feedback. He is monotheist. Fool. Okay. Let, okay. Wait. Wait. 
<laughs> I'm going to read instead of your guys's comments in the chat room. Why don't you listen to some of the quotes from from Dr. Heiser's dissertation, whereby you call him doctor? Okay, you don't call him doctor because of uh, the hidden realm, or book on angels, or or reversing Herman, or whatever. What, whatever those things you're reading, that's not why he's called doctor. Right. He's called doctor because of the the work he did for the University of Madison. Is it University of Madison, Wisconsin? I think University of Wisconsin at Madison uh, under Michael Fox, who is a, I think he's a reform rabbi uh, who is a a biblical scholar. Um, And so in order to obtain this degree called the doctorate, which I'm not dismissing, I'm just, we need to contextualize it. It's not a theological degree. He didn't get a degree uh, in how to exegete the scriptures for, for God's people, right? That, that's not it. His degree is in Hebrew and Semitic studies. And uh, so he had to specialize in languages such as Ugaritic, Akkadian, Egyptian, right? Hit all the things that, that Michael Fox did to learn the, the literature of the ancient Near East and then what doc, what doctor what Michael Heiser did in order to earn his doctorate is to engage in an academic uh, discussion with what the streams of other secular scholars were talking about in the time. And so the goal is not to not to exegete the revealed word of God for God's people, but to make arguments about the Hebrew Bible certain texts in the Hebrew Bible, and trying to explain them by reference to other ancient Near Eastern texts and the history of interpretation in in the scholarly world. That was his goal, and he did it satisfactorily, and so the secular academia system gave him the title doctor for that work. Yep. That's that's just to clear. So that's a great. It, it's a I, I uh, acknowledge fully his the work that the hours that he must have poured into this, the the all the the solo work, learning the languages, learning all the different things that he had to do. So that's great. But that to me that does not qualify a person to teach the word of God to God's people. It's not, it's a different, it's like apples and oranges. And here's an example. Paul in, in second Corinthians is at chapter three talks about the, the people who read the Bible, who have a veil over their hearts versus people who read the Bible because the spirit of the living resurrected Messiah is in them. Okay. But that's not to okay. say that, wait, but that's no, not no, to say let me that. Hear, he- no, no, just <clears throat> let, hear me out. Heiser's dissertation, even if, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take for granted, I'm going to presume that he's a believer, his work for that secular academic obligations that he had to satisfy is a, is a that's a dark system. That system by which that he's trying to satisfy, this would be true for, this is not just true for him, it's true for any, any person who's a believer who's going to get a PhD in, let's say, Hebrew Bible, they are serving the the requirements of of a man-made system it's not the goal is not the glory glorification of messiah 
And I'll, I'll give you some examples. Uh, well, one of the big ones is, is the insistence on, on pronouncing God's name Yahweh, right? That is, that, that's a secular, that originated from the secular world, and he uses it throughout, throughout, which is, a, that's an innovation from what a disciple of Yeshua would do. It, it, Yeshua never did it. The disciples never did it. And, and a servant is not above his master, right? So that that's so that's one example. But I have several quotes, and I'm just getting, if you just permit me, go for uh, it. You know, humor me. Jump in. Yeah. Uh, chapter here's from I didn't put page numbers, but these are from all his published dissertation, 2004. Uh, chapter one, the final writer redactors of Job, Psalm 82, Deuteronomy 4 and 32 and Deutero-Isaiah, cannot be considered monotheists. Okay? Uh, Here's another quote. This study posits that Israelite religion, after the exile and into the common era, was monolatry. Now, he didn't invent this word monolatry, but monolatry is, is the concept of belief in many gods, but the worship of only one god. Here's another quote. This study, he's self-referencing his dissertation. This study further argues that the vice-regency feature of the Israelite divine council, expressed in the Hebrew Bible as various hypostases of Yahweh, is an adaptation of the co-regency of El and Baal. Okay, that what he's saying here is that oh. the religion Yikes. of ancient Israel, Israelite, is an adaptation of Canaanite religion. Right. Uh, and then he says, here's another, the goal of this dissertation is to demonstrate. So this is how he got his doctorate, that belief in a divine council that included other gods continued in Israelite religion after the exile. The belief that the stars were gods in pre-exilic Israelite religion is well established. Okay. That one, I actually had to read several times to actually understand. And think about what what he says there. The belief that the stars were gods in pre-exilic Israelite religion is well established. I mean, that's simply not true. The true, I mean, that's the paganism of other religions that that there there might be some Israelites, but that's not the religion. If religion is what the truth, what Moses teaches in the prophets, but this is the problem. So here, here's here's. it is difficult to see how Deutero-Isaiah was rejecting the worldview that saw stars as divine beings. So here, just, just a note on this. So when he says the final redactors of Deuteronomy 4 and 32. Yeah. So he's, what he's doing, he's saying you have to that take, down. Yeah, you take chapter 4 out of Deuteronomy, chapter 32 out of Deuteronomy. It's not Moses. It's some other person. Um, Deutero-Isaiah, so that's second Isaiah. That means starting with Isaiah 40, it's a new author. Uh, so you have more than one Isaiah. Not only that, he says in his dissertation that Isaiah 40, where it says, comfort ye my people, he says that this is this show, this demonstrates the presence of the divine council. So in Isaiah 40, the commands are issued to an unseen audience and requires actions that cannot be fulfilled by earthly addressees. Okay, this is, this is he's in being committed, let me put it this way, in being committed to the goals to satisfy the requirements of the secular academic 
PhD program, he is unable to simultaneously affirm a canonical right. interpretation. So in other words, he can't hear, hear and say, oh, this is fulfilled in John the Baptist. Caleb and I, and us, we at Torah Resource, we have a different obligation. Our ob- obligation is not, praise God, our obligation is not to some dark uh, acad- secular academic system or values, value or prioritization of, of interpretation. No, we be- because we believe the Bible is holy, we treat it as holy. And we say, oh, when Yeshua says, you know, that John the Baptist is the fulfillment, when the, when the gospels like Mark and Matthew tell us that John the Baptist, is, who's a human, is fulfilling Isaiah 40, I can't, I can't believe the biblical picture taught to us that we receive from the apostles themselves, from the evangelists themselves. I can't put secular academic voices above the voice of the New Testament. Right. You can't have both. I love Here's, it, by the way. But by the way, Moises in the chat room says, oh, you know, you guys are just taking him out of context. Okay, here's another one. Here's a quote, chapter 4, from his dissertation. In Deuteronomy 4, 19 through 20, the sun, moon, and stars are considered living beings. So that means Moses, Moises, who's your name, Moises, is Moshe. Mm -hmm. What Heiser is saying in his dissertation is that the author of Deuteronomy believed that the sun, moon, and stars were living beings, that they were Elohim, created by God. Here's another chapter four, direct quote. The religious outlook of the writer of Deuteronomy was not exclusivistic monotheism, but monolatry. So, and he says this elsewhere, he mentions the Shema several times, saying, Monolatry, the Shema, the greatest, what Yeshua says is the greatest commandment upon which all the love of neighbor and all um, all the other commandments to depend is not a monotheist commandment. It's a monol- it's the commandment of monolatry. Yeah, I think that so one. If, so we, if you're, we need to we need to read that read that quote again for for everyone in the chat room who's saying that uh, that he's a monotheist. Here, here's from the conclusion quote. Deuteronomy 4 and 32 evince a monolatrous worldview, end quote. Here's another quote from the conclusion of his dissertation. This monolatrous context of Deuteronomy therefore requires that declarations that there are no gods besides Yahweh be understood as statements of incomparability, end quote. And what he means is is that when it says there is no God but me, no God beside me, what, what, quote, Dr. Heiser wants to say is this means that he's unique. It doesn't mean they don't exist. It means that he is just superior to them. It's incomparability that's being highlighted rhetorically. No God besides me. It really means, yes, there are other Elohim, but I'm, I'm the one that's in control. And that's his point. And Which is monolatry. Which it's is monolatry. So here's the thing. What makes Caleb, if I, if let, let's just, I, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for it. Caleb, you know what? You know what I learned? Deuteronomy, the worldview of Deuteronomy and the author of Deuteronomy is that of monolatry. And the Shema is really 
a commandment for monolatrists, not monotheists. And I know that you've heard your whole life that the Bible is monotheistic. Guess what? You're wrong. And you know what, though? Monolatry. But, you know, I'm going to call myself a monotheist, though. Even though I believe the Bible is the word of God, and I believe that the book of Deuteronomy is monolatry, I am I a mono, is my religion monolatry or not? That's that's a core question. You guys who are fans of Heiser need to decide, is your religion a religion of monolatry? Because that's what he says in his dissertation, whereby he got his doctorate. That's what the book of Deuteronomy teaches you. That's what the Shema teaches you. And if you're a monotheist, then you must reject his dissertation. You can't have it both ways. You, right? If I mean, I, I, these I mean, are all direct quotes. I, the, the, the funny thing is, is that in the chat room, you got guys who are literally, you know, Johnny. And how is that wrong, guys? <laughs> oh, uh, you got, you know, you got other people... Moises is is willing to die on the hill that uh, that uh, that Heiser is is monotheist because he just watched some video. Yet he still I, I asked him. He said, let, no, let me ask. Let me wait, ask wait, 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 wait. Has any of those guys read his dissertation? Yeah. And that's what I asked. I said, well, did you he said you're taking him out of context? I said, well, did you read his dissertation? He said, no. I said, well, then how do you know we're taking him out of context? Then why are you calling him doctor? <laughs> yeah, exactly. if, if his doc, the fact that he's a doctor the reason he got the title is because of this work ignorance and if you and not I'm, because of his not because of unseen realms I, or I, I, it's, reversing it's, it's, it's rare it's rare that i'm going to say that someone is ignorant but but honestly the some of the comments in, in the chat you're, right an, now, you're doing the parasitic ignorant. mind yeah that's sad you're, you're, you're burying your head in the sand you, you want you, if you, you don't read his you, dissertation you, re, you read something that you liked by him you you've heard a couple of things you like and now all of a sudden you're going to die on the hill for him the fact of the matter is is that you need to step back and and, and see the, the yeah. forest for the trees uh, the, 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 I mean, how can you read something like his comments on monolatry say that, 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 that Deuteronomy is parts of Deuteronomy are clearly re, uh, written from a, from monolatry, from a standpoint of monolatry and then say, oh, no, 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 that he's monotheistic. <laughs> like, I mean, are we, are we, and maybe, maybe let's, let's try to throw a bone to the people in the chat room. Um, you know, and not all the people, but the people who are defending Heiser in the chat room. Maybe they're using the term monotheistic differently than the way that we are, or right. monolatry that differently than we are. Maybe that's the maybe that's the difference here. Caleb, let me ask you a question. Okay, let's 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 let's, let's take the let's coast a little bit on that, and let's shift gears just for the sake of because uh, Rob has an idea right now. The a Mormon comes to your door. And has a picture of Jesus that they okay. want to tell you about. And you talk with them. Okay, then a Jehovah's Witness comes and has a picture of Je something about Jesus. And they're all using the word Jesus. Right. Then the local Baptist church comes. Picture of Jesus. Are they all talking about the same person? Are they all, is, which, is, which is the real Jesus? Are they all the same Jesus or are they different Jesuses? Yeah, exactly. And actually, I was no, thinking, but what I was, would you say? I would say they're different. And and ultimately, when when so it doesn't matter that the fact that the Mormon has a, a an idea of Jesus does that mean these are all different Elohim? Do they all exist? Do, does each of these Jesus real? Just because just because the Jehovah's Witness has a Jesus and the Mormons have a Jesus, does that mean those are real Jesuses that are in the heavenly realm? 
but they're just lower Elohim. Just because a religion is positing that there's, they're all using the word Jesus. And not only that, the, if you talk to a Muslim they, who believes in the Quran, they have Isa that they say is Jesus. Is, that, is, there an, is there an Elohim somewhere in the hidden realm, the unseen realm of, of, an, of a Yeshua, an Isa? Or are these projections of fallen creatures' hearts, right. dark hearts? That's the issue here. Okay. If, if there was an Elohim out there for every time a human called something a, a god, oh my goodness, it would be worse than it is. Let's move to another comment, and this actually will um, look at a specific text now, okay? Uh, here we go. This uh, from the comment line. Hello, Robin Caleb. I was wondering if you guys could clarify your position on Deuteronomy 32. It was discussed last show. We know that Deuteronomy had the most scrolls found at Qumran, being second only to the Psalm scrolls. We also know that there was a Greek copy of Deuteronomy found there as well, and noted as 4QLXX Deuteronomy. So, what has been shown that the textual differences between Magiac text and the Dead Sea Scrolls are very small. There still are differences, and Deuteronomy chapter 32 is one of those places where the Dead Sea Scrolls differ from the Masoretic text as well as the Samaritan Pentateuch. In verse 8, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint both refer to the sons of God, while the Masoretic text and the Samaritan Pentateuch uses sons of Israel. However, in verse 43, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint both again refer to the sons of God, while the Masoretic text and the Samaritan Pentateuch don't even have that in the text. So, moving down the line to the Targum, Targum Onclos skips the B'nai in verse 8 altogether, but then aligns itself with the Masoretic text and Samaritan Pentateuch in verse 43. However, the later Targum Pseudo-Jonathan in verse 8 then compares the 70 angels, the princes of the nations, to the 70 souls of Israel who went down to Egypt. Okay, do you want me to keep going? Is that, well, go ahead and let... Go 33 let seconds left, here you go. Then, yeah, go ahead, that's fine, that's fine. The Masoretic text and Samaritan Pentateuch in verse 43. So my question is, are you guys advocating that the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint changed the text to say sons of God in these places, even though they predate the Masoretic text? Um, are you suggesting that the Masoretic text changed from what was done beforehand? Who changed the text, and at what point did the text get changed? Thank you. There you go. Uh, thank you. I, did he give his name? I don't think so. Well, thank you for the awesome email or, or a voicemail. That was really good. And, and uh, I, I was typing up notes because I wanted to remember there's a lot in there. There's a lot of right. good stuff and everything. And I also appreciate um, the, that's a very informed question. I mean, that's, uh, it's another good example, just like Erna's question. This question reflects um, an informed view. So as, let me repeat back what I hear the question to be. The question is, you guys mentioned Deuteronomy 32. And uh, there are discrepancies between the Masoretic, what we call the main Masoretic Hebrew text, versus 
fragment at Qumran versus ancient Greek translations. And then that is, uh, looks differently in Targum Onkelos or in the later Targum. Um, and so what do we make of this? How do, what do we make of this difference? That's, that's the core question. Is that what you're hearing, Caleb? Yep. Is that basic? Okay, so who changed the you. text? Is I think the ultimate question: Who changed the text? It does it really uh, say "sons of God"? Is is I think what what the what right, we could right. break it down to? Uh, I'm actually working on a a paper right now for SBL this fall. I mean, it's, it was accepted. Uh, it's in San Antonio. Lord willing, we'll be down there. Lord willing, they won't cancel it. It'll be a live program. Lord willing, we'll be able to videotape it, and it's on. It's on Deuteronomy 32. Um, And what I show is places where the Greek version of Psalm 32 deliberately covers up things that are in the Hebrew for the sake of the Greek audience, things that would not gel well. So I have been immersed in this, and I'm very well aware of the, the differences in readings. The short answer is, I I don't know which one is the original. I don't know if the original Hebrew of Deuteronomy 32.8 is Le Mispar B'nai Israel. That's the reading in the according to the number of the, the, the sons of Israel, or B'nai Elohim, according to the number of the sons of God. There is a case to be made from a textual critical uh, perspective that B'nai Elohim is a strong, there's a case to be made that that's the original. The rationale for that and the implications of it being changed, both in the one hand on the Masoretic to B'nai Yisrael and the other in the Greek to Angeloi Theu, I think it is. I think it is it in the nominative according to uh, uh, the Angelon, they own maybe. They you, Andre, you can correct me. <laughs> the angels of God. I don't have it in front of me. I don't know what case it's in. Probably Angelon, probably in the uh, genitive plural. Doesn't matter. Both the Masoretic and the greatest number of Greek, then, if we take sons of God as the original, which is an informed hypothesis. If we uh, if we presume that, it it then implicates both the Masoretic and the later Greek as angels and Israel on, on both sides as interpretive. And I'm okay with exploring that. However, the the proper framework for looking at those interpretations then is not. Ugaritic literature from a thousand years prior. It's contemporary Alexandrian Jewish world right. in the Hellenistic era. And it's contemporary sectarian division between Jerusalem scribes and perhaps the Enoch at Qumran Essene group contemporary to the first century. To this, the, these, if these interpretations became the new readings, the new official readings in the late Second Temple era, then the late Second Temple era is the proper social 
uh, milieu <laughs> for seeking to understand the motivations for that. And I don't think it has anything to do, if we explore that as a possibility, and this is what I'm doing for my SBL paper, all these, all these, uh, whether it's, you know, Cyrus Gordon, which it's just a, uh, you know, my, my great grandfather in the Hebrew learning Hebrew is Cyrus Gordon. Right. I learned, you know, from Scott Nagel, Gary Rensberg, uh, Cyrus Gordon. So I've read tons of Cyrus Gordon and, uh, Heiser has too. Heiser cites Cyrus Gordon. Doesn't mean I agree with everything Cyrus Gordon. He was a, another guy who's a major language monster. I mean, what an amazing story. He's got a, I think it's called the Scholar's Odyssey. If you want to read a short, uh, really amazing uh, autobiography of a of a present ancient Near East Jewish scholar, you know, in the in the twentieth century, that I would encourage you to read that. But but the proper context is not looking to Ugaritic texts, which were a thousand years buried in the sand in the northern Levant. You know, uh, so. That's, that's one bit. The other is right at the beginning of the voicemail was this idea, well, Deuteronomy, we have all these texts of Deuteronomy. That, that is where I don't think Heiser's been forthcoming, forthright. And as a matter of fact, I haven't seen any of the other scholars really be forth, forthright with this. The fact is, yes, Deuteronomy is highly, we have many fragments of Deuteronomy. It was a popular text at Qumran, no question. We have multiple fragments. As the caller mentioned, we have a tiny fragment in Greek of, 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 I think it's chapter 11 of Deuteronomy in Greek, just a tiny fragment. But we do not have a, a scroll of Deuteronomy. We don't have a Torah scroll. We don't even have a scroll of Deuteronomy that survives. All we have is little tiny pieces, little tiny pieces from different scrolls. And, and what in Heiser's earlier material, such as his dissertation. I don't know if he's corrected this because I'm not going to read every book. The guys, it doesn't make sense. It's just, they have other things to do. Maybe he's corrected this, but he in his earlier writings, in his dissertation, he says that there are two attestations at Qumran of Deuteronomy 32.8 reading sons of God. And that's not true. There's only one. There's only one. And it says, B'nai Elohim. And, but... This is the point. It's not a Deuteronomy scroll. It is a sc scroll that's highly fragmentary, and it's a collection of verses from different books, primarily Exodus and Deuteronomy. It's like someone made a, this little scroll that has certain passages from Exodus and Deuteronomy, and off the top of my head, I don't remember if there's others, but it's not, a it's not like a scroll of Deuteronomy. The way it, the news headline comes across like this, scroll of Deuteronomy or Torah scroll found in Qumran where Deuteronomy 32 reads differently than the, the and Masoretic text. And then it's like, woo, no, we don't know. Here's what we don't know. This gets to back to uh, Erna's you know, exemplary question. We got to be clear on what we don't know. We have no idea what this scroll was used for at Qumran. We, have, we know that it was not a Torah scroll. We know it was not a scroll of Deuteronomy. We know that it was a collection of verses, at least from some verses from Exodus and some verses from Deuteronomy. But we don't even have the whole passage. We just have this, I think it says, uh, there's just enough to go, you know, this, this looks just like Deuteronomy 32.8. There's enough there 
that it's a case can be made. This is a, this is Deuteronomy 32 verse eight, but we don't have the context. I mean, imagine if someone found a letter you wrote, you know, a hundred years from now, and all they found is this corner and then they, they run with it without the context. They don't know why you made this quote. This, for example, this, this fragment that has this B'nai Elohim, it could be a, a, a scroll that collects, here's a bunch of places where there are variant readings. In other words, just because this scroll says B'nai Elohim does not mean that now we suddenly know that this was the official reading of Qumran. We do not know that. And any scholar that tries to tell you that we know that for a fact is getting outside of their lane. They don't understand what the difference between knowledge and speculation. So yes, there are numerous fragments of Deuteronomy, different Deuteronomy passages from Qumran, second only to Psalms, just as uh, Psalms, we have much, we have like the Psalm, we have beautiful, bigger Psalm scrolls than we have of Deuteronomy from Qumran. But yes, clearly Deuteronomy was important. Uh, at one point I went and I took all I, from, from that particular uh, fragment set of that particular scroll that has the B'nai Elohim. <laughs> I took, I typed it all out, all the places where I could find with it parallel with the Masoretic and showed the variants. And one thing that is absolutely clear is that the Deuteronomy fragment that contains B'nai Elohim is, uses vowels over and over again, uses vavs and hays, where the Masoretic text does not use them. It's, in other words, it's a place that is, it is using vowels as, or Hebrew consonant letters as vowels. What does that tell us? That tells us that it is an explanatory type of, of document. In other words, it's a document that's training a reader how to read. For example, even B'nai Elohim in 32.8, in that passage, Elohim is spelled Aleph, Lamed, Hey, Vav, Hey, no, wait, Aleph, Lamed, Vav, sorry, Hey, Yod, Mem, with a Vav, Elohim for the O vowel. If we allow that, the, the rationale for adding, and there's a, a, where, where we see vowels are added also, meaning consonants used to mark vowels, because remember, there's no Qumran, or, or there's no uh, Masora vocalization symbols yet. That, and we go with, uh, with uh, Kutcher, who is a major scholar of the Isaiah scroll, it, it shares this same quality with the Isaiah scroll, which is use of vavs, hays, and yods as, uh, even though those are Hebrew consonants, using those as vowel markers. Well, what Kutcher argued is this demonstrates that the readers, that the text was produced for Aramaic readers, people who did not even know Hebrew, because they would, if they were given the the straight text without the vowels added, they would pronounce the language wrong. And we know this by key places that, that Kusher pointed out. For example, the word lo, meaning not. In Hebrew, it's lamed aleph, lamed aleph. But throughout the great Isaiah scroll, it's spelled lamed vav aleph. 
That's, but we know in ancient Hebrew, you didn't spell it that way. You don't spell it Lamed Vav Aleph, you spell it Lamed Aleph. So Kuchar's like, why is this? And there's other places where the normal Hebrew spelling is overwritten where in order to really ensure that the reader pronounces it correctly. And what, what Kuchar pointed out was, oh, this makes sense because an Aramaic audience, an Aramaic reader would see Lamed Aleph and they would say La, because that's how you say it in, in uh, Aramaic. It's La, not is La, not Lo. So the hypothesis set forward was that these vowels were added to aid the audience who's learning Hebrew because their main language was Aramaic. At least use it, they, maybe they spoke Greek too, but they, they, they know that the Hebrew letters or the Aramaic letters in an Aramaic thought world, they needed aid by a Hebrew speaking scribe who understood this disconnect between Hebrew and Aramaic, and the scribe is adding information here and here and here by using, taking certain vowels from Hebrew, again, vav, yod, and hey, and inserting them into the Hebrew text, thus modifying the Hebrew text. The text itself, therefore, is not a copy of an original. It's a mediated product designed for a specific audience, namely an Aramaic a, a, an audience that without these aids would read it as Aramaic and misread the text. So we know then it's interpretive. Whenever you have that mediation, it's interpretive it, because we would say the same thing about the Masoretes. When the Masoretes put vowel points on there, it's an interpretation because any word could be voweled, you know, However sometimes, they want. A, yeah, several different ways you could put different dots and right. obtain slightly different or even radically different meanings. So, there's, in other words, there's a, there are numerous facets to the problem of textual criticism, particularly 32.8. Is it sons of God? Is it sons of Israel? Is it angels of God? And in my reading of Heiser and others, what they do is they, they get you to focus on just this. Like if you stand here, hey, Caleb, like stand here, squint. And, and I'm going to hold this hoop up, look through this hoop and look really carefully and you're going to see something, okay? But if I say, Caleb, there's something over there, could you investigate it? And then Caleb's going to walk around and look and use whatever, you know, whatever he needs to, to get an assessment of it. It's controlled focus. And it seems like on one hand, for a person who's not aware of all the diff, all the variety of information available, a person who's not aware of that arena thinks, oh, this is a legitimate argument. I mean, look at all this evidence. Like the guy left us the, mail, the, the email. He's got all sorts of exegetical evidence. Well, <laughs> that's... Those are, those are the controls whereby he's getting you to look here and not look over elsewhere. And what I want to say is there's a lot of other viewpoints here that are uh, pertinent and relevant and necessary for coming to good, healthy, accurate description of the problem, and then to posit different possible solutions or ways of understanding that are being obscured by the sensationalist view. So back to the question, is the original reading sons of God or sons of Israel? You know, I, it could go either way. I, I'm happy with either one. 
But I, uh, and, and Lord willing, like I said, in my SBL paper this, this fall, we'll get that done and you'll be able to, I'll be able to do this on a quote unquote academically uh, rigorous and um, methodical outline rather than just right now, I'm just speaking, you know, I'm just responding uh, off the top of my head. So um, the chat room has unified in uh, they were fighting each other over the uh, over the Council of the Gods issue. And uh, now they've unified in discussing my fashion sense. Uh, yes, I am sunburned. Not uh, I'm not read from, I love from it. here. I am here. I'm trying to give a focused, careful explanation. And people are talking about Caleb's skin. That, uh, uh, that, yeah, this is fine. this is not me being uh, getting boiling mad. This is me uh, building a playset for my children outside. It's a new it's a new effect in the video process. Yes. And, and then, then the beard. Uh, someone said you're looking like your father. I'm uh, I'm I'm exploring new 40 uh, something uh, reformed fashion uh, for, you know, and, and that's, that's where I'm going. Actually, normally so did I lose everybody. Did no, that... not at all. I actually, I think, I think that, uh, and, and there were some comments on this as well. Um, somebody said, and the comment section has actually gone kind of on, it's been on fire. Um, th- and I forget where somebody said it. Somebody said, yeah, that that's actually a good point, uh, in regards to the scroll. I, I think that ultimately the point is, is I think that the point that I took from that is that Heiser is seems to be, and I haven't read a lot of full disclosure on this, by the way. Rob is the is the Heiser uh, is the person who's read a lot of Heiser and and is interacting with Heiser. I have sat back and and uh, uh, seen points being made. I have not read a lot of Heiser. Uh, full disclosure on that. Um, with that said. Um, I think the point that I'm getting from you, Rob, in in your discussion of of the the uh, Qumran scrolls is that Heiser seems to put, and once again, this is what I'm getting from you. Heiser puts forward that there is a scroll uh, that of Deuteronomy, or makes it seem as though there is a full text of Deuteronomy, and uh, 32 is says sons of God. Uh, yet the truth is, is that no, this scroll is not of Deuteronomy, and we don't know what the scroll was for, and uh, that it is that it is it does seem to be thirty two eight. It does sure, seem to be that sure, yeah, but yeah. but but that but that this could have been uh, that we don't know what the list was originally intended for, right? Um, and so that's and what, and one other point, just on in terms of logical fallacy, just because I have numerous uh, evidence of numerous Deuteronomy scrolls like the Greek one we have of chapter 11 of other parts of Deuteronomy doesn't mean just because this fragment is found doesn't mean that I can project that. Oh, I have a chapter two here of a completely different scroll that therefore it's found at Qumran. Therefore, it, if, if we had that scroll, we know that Deuteronomy 32 would say B'nai Elohim. Right. That's, that seems to be the logical fallacy that people are linking to. Like at least I don't, I don't want to misrepresent the, that last caller's voicemail but that's kind of what the sense is it's like caleb there are numerous copies of deuteronomy at qumran and we know that the qumran copy says sons of god now it seems now it seems right there if that's all i tell you uh, yeah outside outside of 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 that what i've received from your comments is that the the uh the facts are a lot more complex than just saying we have a scroll from uh, we have a greek scroll of deuteronomy from from qumran yeah, that, when it's just a tiny little yeah. That, to, to, again, we don't even know if that's a we don't even know if that was a whole Deuteronomy scroll or a collection of scriptures. Here's why we know that one of the things 
that we learned from Qumran that is really cool is that they had scrolls dedicated to just passages of scripture that had similar themes copied together. And I think, you know what, that reminds me, you know, for different, different phases in my journaling, like in my devotional time and then spiritual journaling, I, if you go back to old notebooks, you'll find like, I'll, I'll copy out like the Shema. And then I just copy out, let's say, you know, passage from Colossians and then I'll copy out from Romans or something. Right. And, and so someone later could like, they could just find one section and go, Oh, Rob must've copied out the whole book of Deuteronomy. And it's like, no, well, no. To, to, what we to, learned to, is that they, at Qumran, they did that. To, they to, had scrolls that were collections of texts. Yeah, to me, what it actually sounds like when you were talking about Aramaic, like Aramaic teaching, like teaching people who knew Aramaic, I think of like uh, the Hebrew textbook that, that I learned out of, right? They take stories and even passages of scripture and they'll actually change certain words to the vocabulary that you're learning. So it, you know, and they'll put, they might put it in brackets or whatnot, but basically they're changing the text just slightly so that it fits the vocabulary that you have, that you're trying to learn and that you're trying to, you know, so that you see it and can read it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that that's what happened at Qumran. I'm just saying that like when you talk about like teaching, you know, teaching somebody a new language and then, you know, it seems like some of that might be going on here. At that point, how accurate is the text actually going to right, be? Right. I mean, that could bring that into question right. as well. And, and, and my basic, I mean, just to put it in a nutshell, my basic argument in the hypothesis that Sons of God is the original reading and that the, the proto-Masoretes scribes in the first century uh, changed it to B'nai Israel, it's their insistence that it's talking about humans. And it was in a context where other people were were saying that it was angels right so that were non-human and so the the difference between the interpretations is whether you read deuteronomy 32 8 as humans or as non-humans and heiser wants to say non-humans and he's follow he's following the a tradition that that uh that i reject i don't think i don't think that's the right reading and if he can claim and write a dissertation claiming he thinks his reading is right, I can say he's wrong and I can say that I'm right. You know, it's not, it's a free country. Um, and it's not because I haven't done the work and it's not because I haven't read his work. Right. Those, those are, if, if someone wants to make that claim, if they want to keep saying, I don't understand Heiser, I'm going to say, no, sorry, you're the one that needs to read his dissertation. I've spent several hours uh, reading his dissertation and and other works and articles and so and like i said i've seen him in person give give talks I, i'm not a stranger you know to to the world view um, and i think i think ultimately my concern and caleb's concern and the concern of, at tor resource is edification of of yeshua's flock and we do that by commitment to biblical exegesis which it does is not uh, does not have to, um, what do you call it? Satisfy, you know, degree requirements for, uh, to be, to get a stamp of approval of authority back to the idea of authority and stamps of approval to get the title doctorate stamped on, on my name. But when you call somebody Dr. Heiser or Dr. Whatever, you have to look into why am I calling them doctor? It's like they caught, who was it? Whoopi Goldberg on the view. They heard Dr. Jill Biden. Oh, she's a great doctor. She's such a, she's a wonderful doctor. Well, and then later 
they're like, oh, well, actually, she's not a medical doctor. Because they, because Whoopi Goldberg was like, they should, I wonder if they're considering her for the Surgeon General. <laughs> and it's like, no, it's a doctorate in education. You know? And then she had to come back and say, oh, I didn't know. And I was, I was glad to hear that Whoopi Goldberg corrected that. But the point is, it shows like, just because someone has the title doctor, we need to pause and say, okay, what, how did they earn that? You know, um, sure. I, I'm not saying take the title away. I'm okay. saying, where did it come from? There's something going on here in the chat room, and I and I, I think it's just going to be way easier to, to say it than to uh, type it. Unashamed of Jesus is asking about the term Hashem, which is a name that we use. It's a Hebrew term that literally means the name. When people use the right. the the term Hashem, it's a substitution for the four letter name of God. And um, unashamed of of Jesus says, uh, okay. Uh, but why would you even need to use that? Because Yeshua is revealed as yod heh and there was a question of whether or not we believe that Yeshua is deity. The answer is yes, oh. and and I it's not. You're, I, I think you're misunderstanding. It's the the term Hashem, the name, is a substitution for the four letter name of God. A lot of the time within your Bible, it, the English translations will not substitute Hashem. Instead, they'll substitute God or Lord. They don't actually write out yod heh A lot of people try to substitute a different or try to pronounce that name, which would be like. Right. Yahweh, Jehovah, Yehovah. There's Yehovah, a ton, yeah, Yehovah. Right. There's a ton of different ways that people try Yahuwah, to actually. Yahuwah. Yeah. There's a ton of different ways that people try to pronounce that name. No one knows actually. How I've to weighed them. Uh, weights and measures. Weights there's actually and a ton. measures. Leviticus 24 is where it is the core. Is where it says a man blasphemes Hashem. Hashem. Yeah. The name. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and so Leviticus and, 24, two times. But I but think the, it but says the, the ultimate person who, the ultimate point here is when when we use the term Hashem, it uh, you could insert the term God or Lord. It's just a direct reference to the 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 four letter name of God Yod Heh A lot of the times I say I literally say Yod Heh instead of saying Hashem. But especially if you're referring to the name Yod Heh uh, that's when you would use Hashem. I hope that that clears that up. Um, okay. We have gone over by quite a lot, which is good. And the reason why it's good is because next week we're off. I'm taking my family on vacation because it is much needed. And uh, so, oh, and by the way, I know that uh, we've had some people uh, sign up for um, for producerships. And you can go sign up now. We have a new mug, which I actually purchased myself and gave to my wife because it's uh, it. it, it it's it's good, uh, Mike, our graphic artist. He uh, redid a the Louis Vuitton uh, logo, and uh, so it looks like Louis Vuitton. And uh, but it's not. It's Messiah Matters. Anyway, if you want to sign up for a summer producer credit, it's not too late. In fact, you're it, we haven't even we haven't even put it in yet. We haven't even put in the producer credits for summer. So buy your producer credits. We will have the summer producer credits go longer than normal. Uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, is that is the can we see a picture of the mug on the website is that up yeah you go to go to messiahmatters.com and you'll be able to see it i haven't seen that okay okay hey it's been fun it's been real i gotta find our outro music here here it is all right uh we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing even if you disagreed with it and that is to glorify our great god and savior yeshua the messiah why because messiah matters